Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. Check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working. Josh Novell, thank you very much for joining me. No worries. Thanks for having me, Paul. Would you be so kind? Would you introduce yourself to both my listeners? Sure. Both of them? Is that you? Well, there's my mum and then there's like one guy. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so, hi, I'm Josh Novell. I'm currently the senior director of people experience and insights, possibly a bit of a mouthful, for Warner Music Group uh, globally. So that's what I kind of do. Um, I work in the kind of digital space to take our human experiences and really quantify them for businesses. So really taking all these nitty gritty platforms and things happening in the ether and say, well, what's the actual value to the company? You're one of those really annoying business people. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. One of those really annoying ones that says, oh, that's lovely, but why are we doing that? Yeah, why is pretty clear on my vocabulary. It's up there with like a Backstreet Boy lyric, pretty much. <laughs> well, you've got the Honda Five Ys, you've got the Josh Novell, <laughs> the Tex Ys, and you're kidding me, right? Yeah, pretty much. What's this going to do? And it's, how much? It's the more annoying why, really. That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, what was your journey to landing uh, with teams, because that's the subject of the, of the day. How did you end up running teams? Yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a fascinating kind of little run, to be honest with you. So one of my first kind of management-y type experiences was way, way back, I was a tech support in retail for, uh, I won't name them, but a mobile distribution company um, that wasn't attached to any of the networks. And they used to have tech support people uh, in the back of their stores. And I end up working for one of them. And as you can imagine, it was this mixture of customer service and technical excellence to be able to look mm -hmm. at a phone and say, well, it's gone wrong because you've dropped it down the loo without kind of laughing and making fun of the customer and things like that. And smells a bit. That's yeah, smells a bit. Point, that sort of stuff. And working in that with a, a keen eye on what's actually profitable for the company meant that I kind of quite rapidly evolved in this tech support role to be accountable and kind of responsible for a large number of the other technical support people so probably kind of semi-managing some of the most introverted engineering type people you can imagine but still some of the most fantastic people that you could imagine but you stick them because they're good at technically in the back of a shop with a load of salespeople. you can already predict how this thing's going to fall apart quite quickly i can see um, what's going yeah so talking with them and essentially acting as a bit of a kind of management piece a bit of a coach piece for the shop managers and also the salesmen to kind of say this is how you can all pull together to hit a collective commission target and things like that hmm. that's my be... first experience which was fascinating to say the least well that that, that thread is is the the business value piece that yeah. i've known you for years now i mean that is that's always been your thing yeah i mean at the end of the day, what's the bloody point yeah, what's the point? I mean, let's look at all these massive layoffs that we've got going on at the moment. And like we can argue, was that down to massive increased hiring during lockdowns and things like that? But for ego. me, ego is all about ego. Sorry. A little bit of ego. Yeah, you're probably quite right there. I think there's also another piece, which is what were they doing? Mm. Like, 
I know many, many kind of professionals that I think are some of the most fantastic creative people that I've ever met. But you say, but what's that thing going to do? Um, they kind of fall, look at the, look at the shiny next button that I built. And <laughs> it's kind of, but what's it going to do? And I think yeah. at the end of the day, we've got to remember that underneath pretty much everything in a business is profitability. Like, why are we treating people better? Because we believe they'll stay longer, which increases our profitability because hiring is damn expensive, especially yeah. at the moment. Why are we putting on all these well-being things? Well, because we want them to live longer. And that means we can work them longer. <laughs> like <laughs> Work harder, damn you. Be happy. Like, like it, may, it may sound incredibly cold, but I like to think that actually, no, it's not. Because if we can get, if we can have everyone in an organization trying to ROI on their own salary, mm. that's an organization I would be super keen to be part of. Totally. Yeah. I mean, when you've got, you've got, I mean, I've been doing some work with private equity and stuff and big, big things there is revenue per employee and profitability per employee. Yeah. And these are just simple numbers. And you look at them, it's a really easy way of analyzing a company. How many people, how much money? Divide one by t'other and you go, ha, forget it. Or you go, ha, brilliant, because I can fix it in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's a really interesting piece. One of the kind of key, don't, not problems, but key focuses I'm looking at at the moment, and this is what takes it from a, kind of standard HR role to a, a people experience role in my mind is we are taking responsibility for the efficiency of people. Yes. And now that means huge plethoras of automation and various other kind of task elimination, process simplification, and all these sort of things that may sound hugely boring. And in some cases they are, but if we can just simply get stuff out the way of our people, mm. like I think it's, it's been a long kind of held belief in many corporates that it's kind of oh the finance platform needs to exist because it does this but what does that mean to your average tom dick or harry in the organization like absolutely nothing they want to be able to come in and write the most kind of inspiring songs in the world they don't want to have to submit an expense through a random platform they know nothing about like they care about getting the money at the end of it so let's focus on the outputs and the results of stuff that's a really really fascinating challenge I think I mean I think productivity is deeply linked to well-being as well. Yeah. It's if you are productive, if you are doing a good job, you are happy. Yeah. And literally so how many like we've both worked in large corporates. How much stuff is there that adds zero value to you? But you kind of have to do it anyway because oh I need to submit a timesheet. I need to do this thing. I need to do that thing. Like because it's just an assumed part of the business because that's how they that's how they track or that's how they do something. And it's kind of like, yeah, that, that could be true. And we, we might need to do that. But why don't we make it as smooth as possible? Yeah. And the, the, going, going to your, back to your point of the value it brings to the organization and the individual, right? The challenge with any management thing, I'm going to see what I'm doing here. I'm trying to bring it back to that. See, yeah. the, the challenge with any management thing is to link the activities and outputs and productivity of the individual to the needs of the organization yeah. and if you can't do that if you're asking uh you get tom dick and harry jane sheila and susie <laughs> to um to well we need to you know diversity and all that we, we, we need you need to try and make that connection between one and t'other or they're sitting there in the abstract going why am i doing this yeah what's the point and you're, you're doing reporting and you're thinking well what decisions 
are going to be made in the back of their support? Is it needed? Who's it for? I mean, even those those the sort of the things that you just mentioned, like the reporting and things like that. I mean, let's look at like the chat GPT coming out at the moment. Like those sort of very analytical skills are going to be eliminated. We've already talked about like the digitization of the workforce and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's like we're we're now seeing an, a growing increase of these automations and stuff, these tasks are going to be eliminated. So why not get on the forefront of it? Why don't you look at reskilling and upskilling and doing all this sort of stuff? Because that's significantly cheaper than hiring new in new talent into an organization. Totally. That your finance person you mentioned, train them from going to writing a report to interpreting a report. Yeah. Because that's huge right there. If you can say, I'm spotting these correlations and these causations and I've got a hypothesis because at the end of the day, all these kind of big business theories that have, they're hypothesis. Mm. Coke thinks by rolling out the kind of Christmas wagons and things like that, that it's going to generate more sales. Let's be honest, it's a hypothesis. They've never tested. Let's not do it for one year. They wouldn't dare. Yeah, it's a hypothesis. So that's the whole, a lot of businesses based on good kind of gut feelings that are backed up by numbers but they're never foolproof. No. Well, and we say they're backed up by numbers. <laughs> we know the reality. We know the reality that basically people make the emotional decisions and then rationalize the hell out of them and then go back and say, look, I've made a rational decision here. I sure you have, pal. <laughs> totally. I believe you. Yeah. No, really. And look, the data backs up. Not that I went to find the data in the first place. I mean, trying to make an objective decision is just one of the hardest things humans can do. I, I think it's virtually impossible. Yeah. I mean, it for me, it comes down to like you've got to have a super clear purpose when when you're leading an organization, when you're leading a function. Like if you can simply say we exist because of X, yeah. that's a common goal that people can get behind. And now if your we exist because of X is also something that's valuable to the company and you've articulated the value of that to the company, that's a pretty solid team right there that when the kind of redundancy waves come around and things like that, they'll go, oh, well, let's not touch that because that's got a an X and Y that really makes sense to us as a business. Yeah. Nuts. What then, given your uh, this, this insane predilection you have for ROI, value, business purpose, benefit to the individual and the organization, what then, what advice would you then give to uh, other managers? Somebody new in this game. For me, it's the key role as a manager, for me at least, is getting things, get get the shit out of people's way mm. and talk to that person honestly about where they want to, where, where do they get value? What motivates them? Because there's not many managers I've worked with in my career where they can kind of say, You've, you enjoy this thing. That's great, but that's not with us. Like that could be like you're phenomenal at like creating the most inspirational masterpieces whatsoever, but we need you to write PowerPoint decks. So you know what? I'm going to help work and develop and nurture you, gleaning what I need from you in the meantime so that you can be set up to be X role in the future. That is a hugely inspiring thing. I think we are custodians of their talent. We can help them kind of hone it and focus it. But at the end of the day, we're there to really kind of 
get them ready for their next challenge, irregardless of where it is. Someone could say, I want to be bobsledding champion of the world, in which case, you know what, instead of Shrek, Cool Runnings is going to come out as the Christmas movie this year. <gasps> Love it. Custodians of talent. I like that. There's a concept of tour of duty as well, yeah, which I've always liked, is that the reality when you're having an employment conversation with somebody, a hiring conversation or a, you know, annual one-to-one or whatever it is, and you're recognizing that you're not going to be here in 20 years' time. So if you're not going to be here in 20 years' time, you're going to be here in 10 or 6 or 5 or 4 or 3. And hopefully, because you know, 10 years are fairly short these days, hopefully you'll get three or four years out of somebody. Year one is them finding their feet, finding the toilets and how the coffee machine works. Year two is really becoming useful and valuable. Year three is excelling, mastering everything and getting on with it to, to the nth degree. And at the same time, preparing themselves for their next gig. Hopefully yep. the next gig is with you, someone else, perhaps, growing and developing. But if it's not, it's not. Yeah, it is exactly that. And your kind of key point there is in your example of that timed competency piece, like our main focus as a business or as people managers should be trying to shorten the trunk at the beginning. I think that's that's the maximum opportunity. Because to your point, that person's taking three years worth of salary. You're getting a year and a half of productivity for them. Hmm. That means they need to be at least double, at least double to make the world, the role even slightly profitable for the company. But to your point, not everyone makes the money evenly. In an organization like where we work, you look at the sales of an ROI versus the ops ROI, it's, it's, it's clear to see ops are bringing in kind of service revenue and things like that, but licenses and subscriptions and stuff like that, like the big money, that's coming in from over there. So it's how do you then split that apart? How do you figure out, do you fairly just go headcount by revenue, like you said some of the investment companies do? Or do you try and get a bit more into the nitty gritty of it? Yeah. I think, you know, my background is revenue and sales and all that sort of stuff. And it's the most measured and most transparent of all functions, I think, and therefore one of the hardest places to work because everything you do is measured to the nth degree and success or failure comes in, comes in a dime, right? And therefore, a lot of attention is paid to ramp time. How fast can I get this bugger to be up and running and making money for me? Yeah. Whereas I think it's equally fair to say that every role really has a ramp time. But it's that ramp time, not just to, to, to time to competence, but time to, as you said, time to profitability of the role. And you mentioned early on uh, about the ROI and salary. I mean, these are grown-up concepts for most managers. In fact, even some of the most senior people really don't think in those terms. What's, yeah, it's, it's how do you do it? It's a really interesting point. And I'll, I'll ignore the irony of the guy that comes through sales is saying sales is the most difficult uh, and highly observed like career path you could ever go through. Um, for me, it comes down to that responsibility and accountability piece. How many people, how, oh, sorry, how many team leads and things like that are just never told the payroll of their own function? Like that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a grown up conversation to have with these people. And some organizations are hiding that a little bit to say, actually, no, there's not. And then, well, what do you do about the, the cost, not just the cost of employee, of the cost to equip that employee as well? 
should that be person be responsible for like their hardware and their software and the subscriptions and I don't know the lighting over their head like how deep do you want to really go with this thing to really show the profitability because hell like the lights over their head that's surely going to add a couple of thousand with the uh, environment <laughs> we're in at the moment so cool. it's a it's a crazy crazy world and like to actually kind of start thinking about it like that I think at the end of the day companies have boards companies have investors companies have all of this sort of stuff and like we keep saying especially obviously you and I are from the L&D world primarily there's always this concept of seat at the table I don't have a seat at the table and one of the questions I've already always kind of asked is but are you speaking the language of the table Hmm. and the language of the table in a vast majority of organizations that I've worked with unless you go into the charity sector are financials like it's you've got to have enough money to make the payroll like at the end of the day you've got to make money make sense for the organization and baking that down um i mean there's there's models like the ogsm model and things like that that very kind of high level take all these gobbledygook marketing buzzwords and things like that that says oh we want to be the best car manufacturer in the world and it bakes it down to an actual realistic piece that people can attach their own motivations to to be like i'm part of this that adds to that that adds to that that adds to that that, adds to that that makes us the best car manufacturer in the world that's powerful that's hugely hugely powerful i mean if you can then take those breakdowns the objectives goals strategies and measures or objectives and key results pick your measure pick your model um, you end up then with a concept, I think, of people unit economics. When you talk about unit economics in an organization, which is the customer acquisition cost, it's the lifetime value of the organization. You multiply one by t'other, you the gross profitability goes in there, and you end up with this lovely little ratio that everybody wants. But you end up talking about the people unit economics, which is, as you said, it's every penny that this person is costing me, every minute in the day that they're here versus the return that I'm getting from them. And the argument is always going to be, oh, but it's I can't possibly quantify the value of my role because, by God, then I would actually have to quantify the value of my role. You know, I'm vague and wonderful, and you know, there's, there's, there's probably some terror out there. Yeah, I mean, like especially I think in the creative world. I mean, how often would you fund a creative kind of? macgyver before i don't know it could you could be funding them for 15 20 years and suddenly they come out with one thing that makes the entire 15 years make sense but that requires 14 years of holding your breath that that's a tough thing to do as a leader and it's about knowing when to do that and to your point earlier sometimes it's a guttural thing sometimes it's sometimes you're trying to back it up with data but it's always got to come down to that well, what's it going to do for us in the long term? Like, what's the gamble? If someone can produce half their salary every week, but some weeks they'll produce two, yeah, that's probably worth worth a gamble. But if someone's zero for a year and then suddenly times 15, that's a harder thing to explain to investors and shareholders and board members and all that sort of stuff. It's, I mean, it's, it's, you're getting onto the, onto the edges of things like, you know, pharma, R&D, yeah, your team's building and developing and doing nothing and nothing and nothing, and all of a sudden, bing, cancer drug that saves whatever. 
Uh, but then the incentives are, are so skewed too, because then you also get somebody messing about for a few years and then bing, all of a sudden it's, well, I just kind of, this might work. Let's just not, you know, there's this, there's, there's, yes, the incentives here can be very, very interesting. I mean, you mentioned the, the investing world earlier on, like the the kind of venture funds and things like that. Like what's the what's the statistic? It's only like one in every like eighty or even mm. remotely returns an investment. So, like I, I couldn't even begin to do this, the maths there to kind of say, well, I've got these eighty five companies, but as long as one of them does something, then that pays for all other eighty four. Mm. That's a that's a very strange and foreign concept to me. But it's it's kind of you've got to think of they're treating those individual companies like we're treating those. Like I'm talking about those people, yeah. where it's each person is accountable for trying to drive their own profitability and return to the business i mean it's it's a wonderful concept but it is having again as you said we both worked in reasonably sized organizations an alien one for most how do you link what i do back up to a revenue line even just a, any line in the pnl and there's a good way of looking at it so every manager should have a line in the pnl and they should know what the hell it is now it's I, I agree with you, but it, it becomes that debate about well, how much how much can you put in that PL that the manager isn't responsible for? So if you decide you're a you're a Google company or a Google Suite company, and the manager goes, Well, I think I could get 365 a bit cheaper, is that his choice? Is that his option? Or if you just force that into his PL and he's got no say in it, in which case that's a way to make a very sour person quite quickly. Mm. You've got to make this number, and by the way, you've got no You've got no challenge to whether the number's actually effective. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like anything, you know, if you're involved in the creation of it, you've invested in it. If, you've, if you're not, then there's a, degree of different, there's a degree of distance between you and the, the outcome that you actually care about. Yeah. Hmm. Was there uh, an event or a mistake, perhaps, that taught you the most? That's a really good question. Um, as you can probably tell, like I'm a very analytical kind of person. Like I, I enjoy talking about the numbers and things like that. For me, it comes down. It's it's again, it's the flip side of that. Of but to meet those things, you need to treat people right. And I've seen organisations, and I've been involved with organisations where very quickly you've kind of gone in and gone, oh, there's some there's some bad mojo here. Like something's not lining up. And like, I've made career mistakes like that in the past where you kind of you buy into the marketing you buy into the buzzwords and things like that and you very quickly kind of go fundamentally there's there's an ethos here that the the people turning the crank there will always be more because we're knocking them out as as quick as possible type thing and i think that's one of the the biggest lessons that i've learned through my career is being able to spot that before you're in the door and that's that's a really kind of crucial piece, I think, that people in, like, as much as I talk about financials and things like that, the people are not indisposable. The people are not just a number for me. There's a big reason that even in the kind of HR technology world that I exist in, I really am not a fan of the term HCM. Mm. So it's human capital management. It kind of, okay. it, it always makes me think of kind of cattling and things like that, like Yellowstone yes. episodes are coming into my head and things like Branded that. Branded in the forehead. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. But at the end of the day, you've got to treat the people right. And being able to spot from afar whether a company is treating people 
right not just for somewhere you want to work but it could be somewhere you want to like it could be a vendor partnership it could be all all these kind of bits and pieces but it's got to come down to like treating the people right because if not you're going to end up with going back to my car analogy you're going to end up with the most wonderful engine designs in the world but the person that designed it left 15 years ago and there's suddenly a problem and no one can backwards engineer this creative MacGyver genius that came up with this catalyst converter or something like that. But you kind of need that. And yeah, it's for me, it's biggest lesson you said being able to spot the warning signs in an organization before you're in bed with them, whether that's employment or partnership or contracts or anything like that, I think is a really, really good lesson that I've learned throughout my time. What are the warning signs? What does it look like? Variety of things. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, transparency sites like your glass store, etc. Like there's there's no smoke without fire, as they say. So being able to spot the common threads in that, and sometimes those don't like don't take it all on kind of face value. Sometimes those negatives on sites like that can be a positive. Like what if someone's repeatedly saying there's a real big issue with I don't know our facilities or our security team or our building or something like that. And you're being brought in to fix that issue. That's an incredibly positive sign to show that I think a company is listening and feeling and doing all those those right things where they've got the fingers on the buds. For me, one of the big kind of questions I've always asked of when I'm meeting people, when I'm talking to people is a really, really nice one. I've kind of succinct it over my many years, which is magic one time. When someone says at the end of an interview, what questions do you have? I always go, magic wand time. You've got a magic wand. What would you change in your organization? Mm. And it's it's a such it's an unexpected question where most of the time you see people flash an idea in front of their face, see that they can't say that in an interview, and then figure out a more corporate example that they can give. Because nine times out of 10, you can guarantee they thought of a person. Like going back to the people thing, they've thought of like the old analogy of you you lead bad leaders. Like people leave bad leaders in organization. They've immediately thought of that person over there. I would would medieval style, take them out to the block type thing. Yeah, and they've not thought about actually systemically how did that person get there why is that person how they are what's their motivations how can i link in with that because everyone's everyone's reasonably selfish at the end of the day yeah like even if your selfishness is doing things for others and things that like you get you get something out of it like you get i did something good like that that good endorphin hit there that's a really crucial thing to figure out well what's in it for them so yeah that's one of the things that I would like to kind of get us going. The other thing is just generally talk to the people. Mm. Like if you're speaking to a sales guy and things like that, ask to speak to a a tier one support agent. It's the old, uh, the old analogy of like, see how people treat the receptionists or the cleaners, like speak to people at all levels of an organization. And you'll very quickly kind of notice, look at people's average tenure. Not that a short one can be bad, but it's a, it's an indicator. It's a kind of blood on the water type thing. Like there's a there's a thing there, but if you go to an organization and their ten, average tenure is like six months or something, yeah, probably a strong indication that something's not quite right there. 
But if they're like, yeah, we hype, if their business is, we hyper develop people from university degrees until they're attractive enough, they are kind of poached by people who are also a recruitment firm that helps them get found by those people and they're only expected to be here for kind of six to seven months. Okay, six months makes complete sense. So spot the warning signs in the water. Don't be afraid to ask a question. You're, you're in the driver's seat most of the time. What would you like to thank young Josh for doing? <laughs> well, firstly, I'll paint you a picture of young Josh. Uh, so significantly longer hair, almost down to the waist, uh, long ringlet, wow. which is always a kind of great image going to metal gigs and things like that, um, which absolutely like looking back hilarious memories and things like that um for me one of the crucial pieces is thanking my own teenage laziness because my educational track um i didn't go to a university i don't have masters i don't have any of that sort of stuff under my belt and yet i went into a very very practical engineering course at college so i was doing your metalwork your grinding your welding your things like that and it was during the time where the government had insisted you had to do something vocational alongside your very practical course. So I decided to do things like computer sciences and things like that. And my, my kind of laziness, laziness or maybe survival instinct, maybe a mixture of the two, got me to a place where I was like, hang on, I'm slightly naturally better at the computer science pieces that in turn led on to the kind of engineering pieces and support stuff and technology pieces that I mentioned earlier. But one of the main drivers of me going down that route was I didn't want to get burnt anymore. I was really naff at some of the metal work and I would come away with burns all up my arms and some of them and things like that. And it's, yeah, that's one of the big things that I would say, thank you for that. Like it was figuring out that I had a natural incline a certain way and not being afraid to follow it. You hear about people all the time where, whether it's kind of family pressures or cultural pressures and things like that, where they, they felt like they've gone down to a certain route and they probably hit like their mid forties before they suddenly rebel by a motorcycle and, and go crazy a little bit. Speaking of which, how's Ruby? Um, but anyway. <laughs> Babs. 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 Sorry, yeah, Babs, isn't yeah, it? So um, okay. Babs, by the way, for, 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 for both my listeners, okay. apart from you, mum, it's the other listener you see I'm talking to here. Um, actually, you know what we I hit was it? I checked this morning. It's one thousand two hundred and forty folk. That's crazy. So thank you very much indeed. I really, really appreciate you you, you listening. And don't forget to leave that five star review. By the way, um, you know, Babs is my nineteen, my pride and joy. It's my second midlife crisis. My first midlife crisis, I married, so she's good. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's Kathy. But you know, the, the second midlife crisis, um, not that it was a crisis. It was Babs, a nineteen seventy two bright flame red MG midget classic of British sporting engineering. Anyway, go on. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's a lovely car. It's a lovely, lovely car. Um, but for me, it's kind of, I had this, this piece, whether it was laziness, whether it was instinct, whether it was whatever it was, but I kind of followed the things that I was naturally curious and interested in from a very early age. That's a piece that I'd be like, I'm, I'm grateful for that because who knows where I'd be without that. Well, there you go. <laughs> okay, we're going to wrap up then. Your coordinates. How can people find you, Josh? So main pieces for me is probably my LinkedIn. Um, if you want to find me on there, Josh Novell, um, just search away and you'll 
you'll find me on there. Um, always up for a conversation. Like, reach out. Like, let's have a chat. I'm always, as you can tell, I'm probably super curious about how other people are doing this. I don't assume that we've got it right in any way, shape, or form. I'm always up to kind of hear how other people are doing it. Josh Novell, consummate learner and analytical people person extraordinaire. Thank you very much indeed for joining. Thanks, Paul, for having me. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework is to leave your five-star review and please, any comments you have, you really help me to improve every day. And it also helps people to discover me online. You should check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working.